The text for this, for this afternoon is from Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, and John 10, verse 7, and the first part of verse 9. Let's read that once again. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And then from John 10, verse 7, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 30 to stanzas 1 through 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the passage that we read, no doubt, is quite familiar to you, especially the one in Matthew, which brings to mind a certain image. We are likely to think of a small road which winds its way through the mountains with steep, steep cliffs on either side and with all kinds of dangers along the way. There are only a few travelers along this road, for it is a hard road to take. The going is rough, and the journey is a lonely one. That is the one the Christian is supposed to be traveling. For a Christian is supposed to deny himself all kinds of worldly pleasures. He is supposed to subject himself to all the commandments and keep all the rules of the Bible that go along with them. The better that he is able to keep them, the better that he is able to stay on that small path. Such a person faithfully attends church every week. He pays his tithes, respects the law of the land and all those in authority over him, and does generally what is right. He denies himself earthly pleasures. That is the hard road he walks upon and the narrow gate he chooses to go through. But in the end, it's all worth it, for once you come to the end of the road, you will come to that wonderful banquet hall of the Lord, where he will open his arms and he will tell you, Well done, faithful servant, now you shall receive your reward. When we think of the Broadway, on the other hand, we think of it as the one traveled by most people. They are the ones who sail through life. They live life without restrictions. They live life to the fullest. They partake of the good things in life. Their consciences are broad. They do not know or care about the commandments of God. And the things that Christians are not allowed to do, they will do. Their insatiable appetites are catered to and satisfied as much as possible during their whole lives on earth. Their lives will be pleasant. Except, of course, in the end of their life, they will receive no reward. They had their reward while on earth, and therefore their end is destruction, eternal damnation. But the question is, is that the picture that the Lord Jesus wants us to have in mind? Is that the picture he is drawing for us in this particular Bible passage? For up to this point, we have dealt only with our opinion about the meaning of this text. But let us remember that these words were spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And therefore, it is better to ask ourselves, 
what he meant with this text. How can we find that out? Well, we can find that out by carefully examining the words that he is using and by looking at the context within which these remarks are placed, the context within the Sermon of the Mount itself and within the Gospel of John where he refers to himself as the gate and within all of God's word. And so let us listen to the preaching of God's word as I preach to you about the one and only gate through which we must enter. Then we will first look at the way through the gate and secondly, the destination through the gate. Note well that the Lord Jesus begins this text with a command. He says, enter by the narrow gate. He says this towards the end of his Sermon of the Mount. The invitation to enter via the narrow gate and the hard road is, going, is given only after he has given the groundwork for those remarks. And that's understandable. For before you accept an invitation, you would want to know to what you have been invited. And Christ told them about that right from the start. For Christ spoke to them about the kingdom of God in contrast to the kingdom of the world. The Jews at that time desperately wanted to escape the yoke of the Romans. That's understandable. They yearned for the days of glory during the time of King David and King Solomon. Christ, however, tells them about a different kingdom. He told them about the kingdom of heaven. It is to that kingdom that they have been invited, and it is that kingdom that they must enter. He begins his sermon with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, and so forth, and so forth. He begins, therefore, by speaking who the citizens of the kingdom are. He tells them about their characteristics. And he makes clear from the start that those citizens will not likely win any popularity contests in this world. The world will dislike them and even persecute them. But nevertheless, they are not allowed to go out of this world and separate themselves from the world. For being part of God's kingdom does not mean that you now must build a wall around yourself. No, a citizen of God's kingdom must be the salt and the light of the world. And after that, he goes on by telling the people that not just anybody can be part of that kingdom. No, for another characteristic of the kingdom is perfection. Therefore, their standards had better exceed that of the Pharisees. He shows them what those standards are with respect to the commandments with respect to their prayers, and with respect to their almsgiving. And then he tells them to look at themselves to see whether or not they themselves measure up in that regard. Do not look at others in the first place, but first take the beam out of your own eye before you try to remove the splinter in someone else's eye. When it comes to applying the standards of the kingdom, begin with yourself. If you do that, you will be busy enough. And then he comes to the last portion of the Sermon of the Mount. He says, those are the characteristics of those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. And you want to enter that kingdom, don't you? You want to have eternal life. Well, here's your invitation. All of you may enter, 
I am sending my invitation to you, and also I'm sending that invitation all over the world. Everyone may enter. However, you must enter by the narrow gate and the hard way. The question now is, what exactly is the narrow gate and the hard way? As I said, some people picture a gate at the end of a long and narrow roadway. Once you come to that gate, then you have come to the end of your journey. At that point, you may enter. And it is true that elsewhere, that is the picture that the Lord Jesus paints. For example, in Luke 13, verse 24, the Lord Jesus, in answer to the question from someone whether or not, whether oh, who will be saved, and that those who will be saved are few, he says, make every effort to enter by the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Here it is clear that he is speaking about the end of one's journey on earth. He is speaking about the end of a person's life when he is to meet his maker. And that's also clear from the context of that particular passage. But now look at Matthew 7. Christ does not only mention the gate through which we are to enter, but he also mentions the road. And he first mentions the gate. And only then does he speak about the way, about the road. Before you can go on that hard road, you must first go through the narrow gate. And the gate, therefore, is in the beginning of your journey. You first go through the gate before you can go on the way. That also makes sense. For eternal life is not something you receive in the future. It is not something that you receive at the end of your life. The Lord Jesus makes that clear in John 3, verse 16, where he says that everyone who believes has eternal life. He says the same thing in verse 36 of that same chapter. He uses the present tense. You have it, you have eternal life as soon as you believe. Eternal life begins already here on earth through true faith. But who has true faith? What is a true believer? As I said, some people think that that refers to those who keep the commandments of God better than others. They are the ones who have their lives in order. They are the more conservative members of the church who regularly pay their tithes and who do more than is expected. They keep themselves untainted from the world. They do not associate with immoral men. They don't partake of worldly entertainment. They are the picture of respectability. They keep more rules than the rest. They are the ones who enter through the narrow gate. However, the context makes clear that that is not what the Lord Jesus has in mind here. For you see, such a description would also fit the Pharisees. According to them, their standards are such that few, if any, could do what they did. They knew more rules and could keep more of them than anyone else. If there is anyone that could go through that narrow gate, it was they. At least, so they thought. But Christ, in no certain terms, rejects their claims. As a matter of fact, he states the opposite. 
In John 8, he calls the Pharisees children of the devil even. And theirs, in reality, is the broad way. And theirs is the way that leads to destruction. Theirs is the road of the devil. Why is that? Well, once you make up your own rules and keep those rules, then for the rest you can do whatever you want. You've already made it. You can relax. And then for the rest of the way, you can be broad. You can be as broad as it can be. Christ, therefore, says it is not the setting and the keeping of certain rules that is going to give you entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And that would not do justice to God or to yourself. For the rules that God has said you cannot keep. The summary of the law is that you must love the Lord your God and that you must love your neighbor as yourself. That is God's exacting standard. And there is not a soul on earth who can keep that requirement. And that is why he sent his son in the flesh to do that for us. That is why Christ also said at the beginning of his Sermon of the Mount, I came to fulfill the law. And that is why he says in the passage of John 10 that he is the gate. Only through him can you enter. He wants us to realize that you can enter only because of him and only through him. Man on his own cannot. You see, when it comes to entering the kingdom of God, a lot of people think that you need to take a lot of baggage along. For you have to have something to offer in order to gain entrance. And that is why some think, for example, that your money is needed. You have to pay your dues. But Lord God says, I don't need your money. You can't come in that way. You won't fit through the gate with your money belt. And what's more, it's mine anyway, already. Or they think that they have something else to offer. Their piety, perhaps, or even their zeal for God's kingdom, or perhaps their good nature, or their good works. You need something in order to gain entrance. But God says, no, you do not have to take anything along. For the fact of the matter is, you don't have anything to offer me. If you want to enter the gate, you had better strip yourself completely naked. Don't be puffed up with conceit like the Pharisees. When you're all puffed up, then you won't fit through the gate. That then is the first thing you'd better be aware of. The Pharisees have so much baggage which they want to take along that there is no way that they will enter, that they will fit through the gate. They can only enter through the wide gate. And they need a very wide gate indeed. What are some of the other things that you have to leave behind? Well, if you completely have to strip yourself naked, that means that you have to also leave behind all the things that belong to this world, including your old nature. That means, for example, that you leave behind all your resentments. For if you want to fit through the gate, you must leave behind all the hard feelings you have against others, including your parents, your children, your employers, and your brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
In order to be able to do that, you must know how to forgive. Once you know how to forgive, then a tremendous load falls off from your shoulder. You take that yoke that you are carrying and you give it over to Christ. Only he is able to carry that great weight comprised of hard feelings and resentment toward others. Check it at the door of the gate. Give it over to Christ. He will know what to do with it. He will dispose of it for you. In that way, he is the gate through which you may enter. And so it is with respect to all things that belong to your old nature. Check them all at the gate. What are all those things exactly? Well, Paul gives us somewhat of a list in Galatians 5 verse 19 and following. He speaks there about fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. All those things leave behind. And then some. All the things that belong to your sinful nature. And no doubt you and I have done that at different times in our lives. We have said no to sin and temptation many a time. But that is not a one-time thing. It is something that you have to keep on doing. And if you keep on trying to do that, then you will come to the point in your life where you realize what a sinful human being you are. And then you also come to the realization how badly you need a Savior, how badly you need the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you realize that He is the only gate through which you can enter. You have no righteousness of your own. But now what? For at this point, there is something which you have not yet able to leave behind. And that is your sinful nature. You can't. It's still part of us, isn't it? Our sinful nature stays with us as long as we live on this earth. You have gone through the gate and you enter on that straight and narrow road. But because of your sinful nature, you and I, we keep on accumulating extra baggage. But Christ also tells you not to do that. For he warns that if you do that, then you have to leave that path and then you have to go over to the broad way. For what is our tendency? We keep on building up resentments, don't we? We keep on thinking of ways in which to earn our salvation. Time and again we want to put our trust in our earthly possessions and want to depend on our own financial well-being. What then do you do if you want to keep on that narrow path? Well, you have to keep on disposing of that extra baggage. And there's only one way that you can do that. We sang about that at the beginning of our worship service. May God be merciful and bless us. Illumine us with light divine. May he to us be ever gracious and cause his face on us to shine. May he to all nations show his revelation and his way unfold. You see that psalm and many other scripture passages point you to God's grace. 
If you want to go on that hard and narrow path, you can do that in no other way than throwing yourself at the mercy of God. That is the only way that you can go on that road and keep on disposing of that extra baggage. You cannot do that except through God's grace. Christ points to the road of eternal life as a hard road. That's contrary to what some people think. They think that as soon as you become a Christian, your life from then on in will be a cakewalk. God will be so happy to have you along on the road that he will make your going easy. Well, if that's what you think, then you will be disappointed. Christ calls it a hard road. And that is not because he makes it so hard. On the contrary, he will indeed smooth the way. That's what he promised Isaiah, for example, as it says in chapter 26, verse 7, the path of the righteous is level, O upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth. The only problem is we make it hard on ourselves. We ourselves throw so many stumbling blocks on the way. We ourselves want to take so much garbage along that the way is hard. It is very difficult for us to keep on throwing off that extra baggage. We're so attached to it. We think we need it all. Oh yes, the way is hard. If you, for example, have such a hard time forgiving others their sins, and then you are going to be so loaded down in the end that the narrow way no longer fits you. You need more room. And if you are so attached to earthly things, then the weight of it all will be too much of a burden on the narrow way. There are not many people who are willing to make that sacrifice. Some start along the road, but after a while they give up. It's too hard. Christ also has a warning for us. He tells us that there are two destinations. The one is the road to destruction, and the other is the road to eternal life. That's the second point. Note well that Christ says that there are few people who want to go on that straight and narrow path. The vast majority take the broad way. Few are there that find the narrow road. They would rather follow the crowd. That's a lot easier. You just follow in the footsteps of all the others and you'll be safe. Everybody else must know where they're going. So we might as well tag along. However, the crowd is leading you to the edge of a cliff. And you will fall like the rest of them. Why is it then that they don't find it? Well, it is because they don't seek it in the first place. Sin makes you blind. They do not want to open their eyes. It is a lot easier to keep your eyes and your ears closed. Life is a lot easier that way, at least for the moment. But a Christian doesn't live for the moment. He lives with a view to eternal life with his Lord and Savior. A lot of people have difficulty with the fact that only a few can enter eternal life. They believe that God could not be that gruel cruel to leave others out well brothers and sisters boys and girls God is not cruel he does not want any he does not want to leave anyone out 
That is why he sent his son to pave the way for us. For Christ is the gate, he is the door to eternal life. God did everything for us. But he also wants us to believe that. He also wants us to come to him. And if you do not want to do that, then you cannot blame God for that. Blame yourself. The way has been opened. Follow Christ. He has opened the way to the Father. He is the gate. And that gate is open to anyone who comes to him. And he keeps it open for you. For even though he is, for even though he is now in heaven, he is still with you. He has given his Holy Spirit to strengthen and sustain you on the way to that final entrance into the kingdom of God. And Christ continually intercedes for you with the Father. For he has a place of honor beside the Father. He is seated at the right hand. And he has already prepared a place for those who belong to him. As for the destination of the rest, Christ speaks about that in no uncertain terms. He says in Matthew 13, verse 50, that the Father will throw them into the furnace of fire. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. That is their eternal destination. And they will never escape from it. What a glorious definition, however, destination, however, God has prepared for his elect. That destination is described, for example, in the book of Revelation. The new Jerusalem is described there. That city is felt, filled with the most beautiful things that God has brought into it. There is nothing there which any creature has brought along. It is all from God. And it is his gift to us. You are all invited to enter that kingdom. And that's what we are told at the end of the last book in the Bible. In Revelation 22, verse 17, we read, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. There is no charge to enter that kingdom. And that is why remove that which should not belong to you. And God will give you entrance into his eternal city. Enter it by the straight and narrow way. Amen.